Hello and welcome to, God, I guess this is the seventh episode. Um, if that sixth episode ever comes out of limbo um, and returns back to us from the depths of I, I or uh, the depths of podcasting hell. Oh, man, that's just been a headache. I guess we should tell people what's going on with that. Um, essentially, there's supposedly an issue in the podcast section of iTunes. Where the episode that we submitted on Sunday, as we normally do, which is normally up on Monday for everyone to access, is still to this day not available. Now, it does automatically download for all subscribers, so anybody that's subscribed to the podcast will see it instantly. Um, but anybody that's new that goes through there will only see one episode. Uh and we've gone through all kinds of things. And I keep getting told that, oh, it's a problem in, in, in iTunes. They're trying to fix it. They're trying to fix it. Yet, 10 minutes ago, before we started this, I was thinking, maybe, let me see if it's happening to anyone else. Um, all the large podcasts, all their most recent episodes seem to be up. So I'm not sure if they're just putting those guys at the front of the line because they care more about them and they make more money off of them than us. But, uh... Our episode is, we're recording this one, and the old one's still not up. Yeah, so uh, of course the, the stark irony to all of this is there's a very, very good chance that this episode, which is the later episode, um, recorded almost a full week after the, the, the last episode, is going to be up before the other episode. <laughs> very good chance, but I would uh, also point out we are on Stitcher, we are on SoundCloud, uh, we do have our own website, and we our player works right within Facebook. So, and if you subscribe in iTunes, you get the episode instantly. So there's no real problem with any of you guys that are already listening finding it because you're already listening to it. Uh, <laughs> it's just a matter of all the rest of the world. So yeah, so uh, we apologize for anyone who's having trouble, um, but we're also thankful for anyone who um, is in a position where they're having trouble because that means you are listening to us in the first place. And this is this is a good time to talk about. This is the reason that um, monopolies are illegal in America. Um, Apple is technically not a monopoly on podcasts, but the competition is so weak that yes, they are. Although it's looking up, people are investing in it. But, I mean, there's no motivation for them to fix it if they're number one and no one else is close to them. Not saying that that's what they're doing, but this is a great example of what a company could do. They could sure. easily hold your your services hostage, and that's why it is not allowed in America. Um, speaking of competition, next week, the podcast section of Google Play goes live. So Google is getting in the podcast game. Yeah, hopefully that that does better than a lot of their ventures into the um, the other arenas that they've attempted with. You know, uh, God, it, it's social been media. so unsuccessful that I don't even remember what was the their social thing called for a while. Plus, 
Oh, there was one before that too. Uh, what was the one before that? That was Orcut. Was that them? Was Orcut them? I don't think it was. I think it was somebody else. There was something else before. Plus, oh, Buzz. Google Buzz. 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 That's right. Google yeah, Wave. Yeah. There was Google Wave that lasted about four months. They can't seem to get a handle on that, can they? Well, I think it's just, you know, the problem with with technology services and social social media networks like that is that it has to attack a new problem um, because otherwise, anyone who's adopted a previous version of it, like for example, as as annoying as Instagram can be, um, I can't see. Um, another picture based social networking platform being successful behind them just because, um, as long as it works reasonably well, um, or, you know, and there have been uh, attempts at, you know, photo based social media networks like ViscoCam, for example, which is, by the way, a far superior <laughs> interface in many ways. Um, it didn't really get off the ground because Instagram's got a foothold, you know, same thing with Facebook. Um, so it's, it's just tough. You know, even if it's a superior product. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more involved in that. Actually, this brings around to the first thing that I have written for this week. You had mentioned earlier in the week before the episode that you wanted to talk about the tipping point. And one of the things in the tipping point to talk about is it's not just about being first, being the, having the most, getting the most views, all those things. It's a stickiness factor that matters. If you do yeah. not have a stickiness factor, nothing matters. It's and this, for those that don't know, stickiness factor is is literally what it sounds like. Anything that makes something stick with you, um, if it's a slogan, it would be a good slogan. You know, something something that makes you remember the product that you're going to remember that slogan. If it's an ad campaign, it's something that's uh, visually you're going to remember. For example, the Jack in the Box commercials when they were really really funny, um, that that was high stickiness factor. Um, Sesame Street, the whole of Sesame Street is built on stickiness factor for children. It's uh, it's angled to educate them using that stickiness factor to an advantage, but there was extreme amounts of testing done to figure out what was sticky and what wasn't. What could you put on the screen with what? What distracted children from learning? Um, So the stickiness factor is, is, that's what a lot of these companies are missing. Yeah. And I mean, it's really, I mean, I guess you can do as much market research as you want, but you know, there's, there's as much as there's an intelligence behind determining what that stickiness factor is from business to business or from company to company. There's also a certain, there's just, there's also a certain portion of chance in that as well, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, it's, it's really hard to anticipate, for example, what videos are going to go viral. Like I remember the, the big buzzwords around, you know, the marketing world, um, a couple of years ago when I was still working in it was, you know, let's make a viral video. What's, you know, it, but the, the, the whole, the whole idea behind how and why a viral video becomes what it is, um, is because there's a certain thing that the, the, the general public latches onto, uh, with it that are, that's really tough to, to anticipate, you know? Um, you know, it's hilarious that we're talking about this because one of the books this week that I was going to, I was going to introduce into the, the equation was, uh, uh, one of the books that I, I kind of reread every so often is a book called The Viral Video, Video Manifesto, uh, Manifesto by uh, Stephen Voltz and Fritz Grobe. I might um, need to read that. It's a pretty cool book. Actually, I was it's one of the books I was going to recommend to you. Um, I've got two copies of this thing, and one basically looks like you own it already. So, <laughs> um, you know, it has it has a few coffee stains on it, and it, it also uh, is a little dog-eared. So it looks like a book that Chad's been lugging around for like a year. Lived in. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Maybe pre-owned. 
Yeah, I think one of the, the uh, one of the things that's not um, the problem with all of this market research that's continually done is once again, like you said, it's always a gamble. It's just like um, how many how many uh, market analysts out there are are there for uh, the stock market that have sure. science and all this stuff behind them, but you don't know. People are not. We are not machines. We are not predictable. We are emotional creatures, and what we love one day, we might hate tomorrow. Like, for example, right now, because of the podcasting, I'm very frustrated with Apple. Uh, yeah. Two weeks ago, I was very pleased with Apple. It yeah. goes back and forth, and you can't you can't judge that with a scientific uh, accuracy. And I think that's why um, a lot of the things that succeed really well are things that are done well, but also uh -huh. things that are done with a genuine passion. Sure. Um, the guys who started Instagram were really into photography. I don't know if they were like photographers, like that mm -hmm. level of photography, but they were into images. They were into this idea that they wanted to create something that centered around that, not because they thought it was going to sell, but because mm -hmm. that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, and, and I think I, I think beyond the fact that that they were that passionate about it too, they solved the problem. You know what I mean? Or at least they 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 introduced a new solution. Actually, is probably a better way to put it. You know. Right. Um, and I remember for a while as a social network, like I, I for a good portion of uh, my usage of it, actually, um, Instagram kind of became a replacement for Facebook, you know. Right. And so I, for me, for me, I, I cruised my feed on Instagram far more often than I ever looked at my Facebook page, you know. Yeah, you're right. I think that's, that's part of the reason that Facebook bought them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, when it comes down to what it comes down to is is somebody introduces, you know, this. They introduce a cup and they go, here's a cup. This is social media. We're going to mm -hmm. fill this. And it, it hits a point where it fills and it starts brimming over. And then somebody else grabs a cup and holds a cup under that and goes, I'm going to catch that. I'm just going to catch this part, just the part that's running over. Like Instagram saying, I'm just going to grab the photos. But then at yeah. a certain point, that cup fills up too. So, you know, like who's going to parse out, who's going to parse out Instagram? Because Instagram is cluttered now too. Mm-hmm. So who's gonna? What's the next thing? Where are they gonna parse out? And I think in a way that's kind of, kind of what Vine was. Like, oh, I, I mean, Instagram didn't do video at the time, but they were going, okay, you guys are doing images. We're gonna do six seconds. Sure. Um, Snapchat too, you know, ten seconds. Yeah, and I think um, some attempts have been made to do similar stuff. Like, it, you know, Twitter has its own niche still. Um, uh, although to be honest with you though, I find myself less and less interested in, in Twitter in general, just because I, I find myself craving more. Um, and I know that's always kind of been the thing with Twitter. Um, you know, it's, it's not the place for such things, but I, I find that because it, for, for me, it's, it's, it's now the easiest analogy, I suppose, is, it, you know, I have a pie of, of, of energy, um, and time and what I dedicate, um, what type of energy or time I dedicate to certain things is pretty finite, um, you know, because I have a full time job and because, you know, my full time job slash commute requires me to 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 basically be away from the world. So the, the, the limited amounts of time that I do have to engage in these things um, is very, very precious to me. And so because of that, certain social networks and in this particular case, Twitter has kind of just fallen to the wayside because I just simply don't have time. And see, I'm the opposite. Twitter's my number one. Everything else is unimportant to me i guess that makes sense i mean you're more of a writer and i'm more of a photographer so from that perspective it makes sense that i would care more about visual images versus you where you care more about the written word yeah and i i mean i don't know there's something about twitter's brevity that makes it easy to get through some of the 
more daunting. Although I find that um, there's less, maybe it's it has always something had to do with who you're following. But overall, I find that Twitter has less frivolity than, mm-hmm. say, Facebook, which is huh. um, more argumentative. More, although have you have you seen um, what they were they're showing a prototype of uh, the next Facebook, like uh, Zuckerberg showed it on stage at some event. And uh, it's got a sharing box right at the top that's always omnipresent because apparently people have been sharing less and less on Facebook, so everything has been going down. Sure. Yeah, and I've definitely noticed that even in our own Facebook pages is the amount of engagement that we get from our friends, both on personal stuff as well as business stuff, has dramatically decreased. Um, at least for me. So, you know, it, 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 as a, you know, in, in maybe two years ago, I would have gotten, you know, 10 shares and 50 likes or something. Nowadays, it's dwindled to, you know, maybe a third of that. And sure, a lot of that is because I'm just not very active on Facebook anymore. I might post like once every three days. Um, and usually it's something about this podcast. Um, so it's not really, I'm not really using the medium for what it's intended for, which is for social engagement. You know, I'd rather just pick up the damn phone. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that a guy like Zuckerberg, I mean, I, for all intents and purposes, I feel like Facebook is dying a slow death unless it can pivot really, really quickly and really, really hard. Right. Uh, and so I think at this point, you know, Facebook has to make a couple of very difficult choices about how it wants to, to evolve, um, and or if it's even worth evolving or if it's worth just coming out with something entirely new, um, and pulling, pulling a Steve Jobs, you know, here's an iPhone. Um, you're going to need this for the rest of your life kind of thing. You know what I mean? And the problem the problem with Facebook is, um, first of all, they're banking too much on the power. And don't don't get me wrong, Facebook has a considerable amount of effectivity for, as a social media. For example, my blog views, 80% of my links that come outside of YouTube come directly from Facebook. It's huge. Sure. Um, yeah. But... They're also banking very heavily on putting their hands in everything. Oh, they're getting in live video now. Oh, they bought the company so they can do things like Snapchat. They're trying. Uh, they're starting to look desperate. And the real problem here is that they've painted themselves into this corner. Um, is that the right metaphor? This is a strange metaphor. <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't I think it's kind of right in its own way. I mean, you're trying to describe them basically defining their own niche and then being stuck in that niche, right? Well, it's not even the niche. I, th- I feel like it's their um, the method by which they've monetized things has mm-hmm. been such a sharp angle against what the medium is for sure. that they're actually smothering their own audience slowly, exactly like you're saying. Um, for example, we're seeing, um, okay, we want everything in here. Everybody, share everything on Facebook. Share it. Well, when, what happens when everybody starts sharing everything on Facebook? is there's too much. And when yeah. there's too much, engagement naturally drops. So then they sure. paint themselves in the corner where they have to start using algorithms to bring what they think is important to the top. Well, then people start feeling like when there's an algorithm, I'm sharing and nobody's seeing this. So then they start sharing less because they don't feel like it's worth the time since no one's seeing it. So every choice that they've made is responsible for the situation that they're in. Sure. But at least on some level, though, at least with Facebook, they didn't. There's a certain sense of, of of potential hubris that can come along with, you know, having a company that's as successful as Facebook. Um, and I feel like, especially with companies of that size, um, you have to make decisions so far in advance 
um, that you you can allow yourself the ability to pivot in multiple directions because it's like moving a really really huge slow ship you know what i mean like if you don't start that turn way long time ago um you're going to end up colliding with something because the ship is too big to turn quickly you know what i mean so i feel like you're 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 totally right in the sense that i think right now it's just a smash and grab um facebook is 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 scrambling and i I think they're a smart company so i think that you know in the long run they'll find successful ways to 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 evolve um uh, so that they'll survive but i definitely i definitely feel like at least on some some level um, Facebook's heyday of innovation is pretty much done. At this point, they're looking for the next big thing from the outside and not the inside. You know, right? I mean, they don't. The problem is that they're not. They don't have enough of what uh, Gary Vaynerchuk calls jab, jab, right hook. And yeah. jab, jab is give, give. You know, give people things that they want. Give them what they want. You're you're building um, a relationship there. You're building rapport by giving, giving, giving. So that when you throw <laughs> that right hook, when you throw that, hey. Here's something to buy. They're willing to do that. They're willing to jump in. They're willing to give you the money yeah. because they realize the value of what you've provided them. I feel like what Facebook did was jab, jab, and then once the second jab happened, they've been doing nothing but right hooking since. Yeah. And that's a problem as a company. It's it's a poor, poor business practice. And and you bring up the word hubris, but I think to some degree that hubris is the problem. I think sure. that... Um, Zuckerberg is um, under the opinion that he can dominate everything. And when you when you have an idea that you can dominate an entire market, you stop worrying about what your customers want. Sure. And you stop worrying about what you can provide them. And all you start providing is methods to make money. Sure. And that's a problem. And I mean, and more so than anything else, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, money has been the motivator for plenty of innovation. But I think that in this particular circumstance and in many circumstances like this in many other types of business, um, the, 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 the push for pure monetization is the innovation killer because you no longer, you no longer think creatively, you think fiscally. You know what I mean? Right. And don't get me wrong. The opposite is just as bad. If all you do is jab and never right hook, mm-hmm. you tank. And that's the problem that Facebook's been facing. I mean, yeah. uh, sorry, Twitter has been facing. All Twitter did was free, 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 free give. And they mm-hmm. never gave that right hook. And now they're struggling to float too. Yeah. So um, it's about finding that balance. And if you're providing things to people that they want, there's nothing wrong with asking them for money because you're providing things they want as long as you're actually providing it. Yep. Yeah, in the words of, uh, you know, um, Heath Ledger's Joker, if you're, you know, or in the words of his father as the character in the movie, wow, that's a convoluted way to get a quote out. <laughs> um, if Papa you're good Joker. At something, yeah, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the, right now we're watching, you know, it was, I, I think, and, and you can say this once a year or once every six months or whatever it may be, but I think with certain companies, and Facebook is one of them, it's a very, very scary time for them. And they have the opportunity um, and or the misfortune of making some really difficult and critical choices right now, you know? Yep. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in a lot of companies in the next few years. Um, I mean, not that we haven't already, to be honest, but um, I just I feel like there's this industry that we've been living in, um, this new, I, I don't know what you want to call it. We'll call it the millennial um, world that we've been living in it's it's past the the stage of chugging up 
you know, of becoming. Yeah. Now, now it exists. And now that it exists, things change. Um, yeah. Evolution happens. Uh, you know, it's like with television. Television was exciting, all these things. And then all of a sudden, television was just omnipresent. And then it was bogged down. Sure. And, you know, all those issues that come with it. And now we're, we're supposedly moving past television. Uh, that's, I think we're, we're reaching the stage of omnipresence with, with the internet and all of these things. And, um, where are we going to go from there? What is it going to sure. mean? Are we going to lose it all to virtual reality? Who knows? Or are we going to lose it all to personal assistance, uh, digital personal assistance? Um, I, I, it's funny because, you know, it's one of the, the running topics that we have in this podcast that I think is really fascinating. Um, you know, the, the, the question as to where and how AI is going to enter our world, because we can't help that now. It's coming. And whatever form it comes in is going to be very interesting, whether it's on a personal level or, or a business level. You know what I mean? Like I, I recently just saw some demonstrations of the new IBM business-based one called Watson. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, it's very much like what we would want Jarvis from the Iron Man series to be in our own lives. You know what I mean? So it's, right. it's, interesting. it's interesting to see which directions a lot of the stuff is going and how it's evolving. And I actually think that you know, the question as to whether or not Facebook is going to die or not isn't even a question. The way Facebook works is going to die because we're going to evolve past it. You know right. what I mean? Right, exactly. And, and and I think that, like going back to what you said about the ability to pivot, I think that's a very, very important point that you made there. Um, a lot of people underestimate what pivot means. And I, I think that um, people look at the idea of a company pivoting as a, as a way to survive. But... Yeah. Uh, Pivoting is it's, it's part of the evolution. I mean, it is by definition, it is evolution. If you cannot evolve and change and flow with things, then you will go extinct. Um, if you cannot, if you're not the bird that um, has the harder beak to crack the harder shells on that island in the in uh, in the South Seas, then you will die, and another bird will take your place. And that, and, and I think that goes back to what we've talked about before where I say um, that I believe it's impossible to be a reclusive writer anymore because that path is going mm-hmm. extinct and you can't be that anymore. You, you, know, and, you know what's funny is, um, you know, back in one of my old companies, um, we did an interview series. I think I talked about this on previous podcasts, but we did an interview series in which we talked to a whole bunch of successful CEOs um, you know, we talked to Phil Levin from, you know, um, Evernote. We talked to Jeremy Stoppelman from Yelp. And one of the things that always stood out to me um, was how quickly they were able to change. Stoppelman, for example, um, talked about how when he first put together um, Yelp for what it was, it was just, um, you know, it, it was basically a version of the digital what digital yellow pages. If any of us, if any of you out there remember what yellow pages even were, um, and the, the, the review feature slash rating feature was totally a throwaway feature that a couple of guys worked on and kind of threw in there for fun. And they didn't think that it was going to be anything, you know, um, anything meaningful. But the funny thing is the moment they saw the amount of response and the overwhelming need for the reviews to become a bigger part of the interface, they completely pivoted. Um, and it was a very short period of time in which they did so to incorporate all of those, the, the, the ratings and, and, and reviews features back into Yelp. And so I think that's a good example of, of, of a company that 
went into an environment with a very strong idea in their minds and they could have very easily chosen not to pivot and they could have died on the line because of that, you know? Right. And I mean, wasn't Twitter was something else before too. And yeah, and I, don't remember what, yeah. I can't remember. It was a horrible name too. Um, but they, <laughs> but Twitter is a, is a product of a pivot. You're absolutely right. Like, for example, the opposite end of it, since you mentioned Phil Libin, he's left Evernote now. And the fate of Evernote is kind of up in the air right now because mm-hmm. they haven't pivoted well in the last yeah. few years. They haven't, um, they haven't introduced their product to enough new people. People didn't understand what they did. Now, supposedly, yeah. they keep making these hints that they're working on something new. Whatever they're working on, it better be huge because, number one, they've been taking a really long time. And their product is getting stale. I mean, there's a lot of huge Evernote fans out there. Um, I was one until, I, I, yeah. until mm-hmm. I switched to OneNote because there were just certain features that I could do in OneNote that I could not do in Evernote. Plus, I, I bought this Surface Pro and the Evernote Windows version is awful. Um, both versions, the Metro version and the normal version. Um, and the OneNote, <laughs> and OneNote on here is fantastic. Um, sure. I use features like um, link to certain paragraphs, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, in Evernote, you can only link to notes. So to be able to jump to specific things, things like that, those are, and that's an example of a company that tries to cover all their bases. And I honestly, with Microsoft, I have no idea how they survive. Um, it's not that they don't make good things. It's just the ratio is so weird is they make everything. So, like, there's some really good stuff that they make, and there's a bunch of garbage that they make. And yeah. I, I don't know how that works as a business model. It's like just throwing... They're like the U.S. government. There's just so <laughs> much money going out the door, nobody even knows where the money's going or what it's being used for. And yeah. nobody has time to care. But, you know, the other side of that, too, is, you know, given that um, you and I have, have recently just switched over to Evernote as our primary um, mode of able to, to, I'm sorry, not Evernote, OneNote, I'm sorry, um, to be able to share information. I think there's a certain sense of OS integration that definitely helps uh, OneNote more than Evernote in that sense, you know what I mean? Like, Evernote is still kind of, it goes back to one of the, the things that we talked about a long time ago, which is, if I have to click three different things to get to some simple function, then I'm already out, you know what I mean? Right. And I think there's a certain sense of the OS integration, you know, whether it's the, the macOS stuff or the, the Windows stuff, that helps their respective uh, uh, their respective software platforms become much more successful. Um, like even if OneNote sucked, but it did most of what I needed to needed it to, I would probably use it over a superior version of Evernote, just because I don't want to go through the trouble of having to to deal with a separate app or or a software program in order to do all of the things I need to do. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that that's one of the things that has always um, baffled me about um, Apple. Apple is so good at so many things. Um, uh-huh. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting for years for them to find the thing that nobody else has nailed, which is to make everything in the phone work together in such a way that your phone is an app. You know, it's, sure. all, it's all one app. Everything is connected. You know, and they've made these extensions and all that, but that only killed, what, maybe 10% of the problem. I mean... The contacts app, when you, you know, you go into contacts app, first of all, why is there a contacts app when all that stuff's already in the phone? It's redundant. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, 
but you go into the contacts app or you go into the phone app and I mean, there should be, a, you know, like you should look in there you're looking at this person, you know, they wanted you to put all this information about this person. What is stopping them from doing what all of these other small apps that have not succeeded are doing, you know, like, Hey, here's another contacts app. It shows you the most recent emails with the person. Um, it shows you the most, the shared files with this person shows you their most recent tweet, get all of that stuff together. It's where everything, you know, notes, here's a note that you've shared with this person and you click that and notes opens and, you know, to get it all working together. And I think that's really what, why OneNote is fantastic is because even though there's a lot of convoluted stuff that, um, where it's just like they're trying to please everybody. Yeah. The ultimate goal from what I look at this app and I look at the other things in the office suite is the ultimate goal was to get them all to work together like one thing. And they've been yeah. working towards that. Yeah. And I, you know, what's, what's difficult too is I think that there's, because there was a period of time in my life over the last couple of years where I, I strongly considered um, going into Apple development. Um, you know, I, I was working with the SDK and I, I, I jumped into Swift and learned a bit of that. But I think the problem is not necessarily, um, that the, the technology itself isn't capable of it. I think it's a human problem. Um, and what I mean by that is I think that so many people want to design in the Apple ecosystem that don't think outside of that ecosystem. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and the other side of that is that users themselves don't quite understand how useful it would be to have an all-inclusive device with one software package that did everything. So what I'm trying to say is you're either a genius or the Unabomber um, when it comes <laughs> to discarding these things. Because I think that's really far forward thinking. Like at some point, um, I think the evolution will even go past the interface. You know what I mean? Like it's something that we talk about all the time, which is, you know, even even the phone itself with these icons and everything else that that, that goes along with that is is kind of a clumsy tactile way of doing things when it comes to how these. And I think that's that's part of where my frustration comes in. Um, you know, the the tie together to all of the other things we've talked about when it comes to digital personal assistants is that I wish I just didn't have to click on ten different things to get where I needed to go or do what I needed to do. It's I I just need it to work as one continuous software package that has an interface that doesn't require me to to fumble around with it so much. You know, which which brings me to something that actually. I'm, right now, I'm holding my my Surface in my lap with the with the pen magnetically on it as my notepad for this episode. I thought I would try it. It was an experiment, and I can tell you, just sitting here with this thing, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it, uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, form factor wise, it's not that different than a notebook, but there's just something about it that doesn't. Maybe it's because the damn thing keeps uh, <laughs> that keeps sleeping on me because I'm inactive. And a piece mm -hmm. of paper doesn't do that. And sure. I think that the, the way that we're going to achieve these things in my, whatever you want to call my opinion, my opinion, I guess, um, it seems like what we're trying to do is we've been trying to create these devices that do everything. In reality, what we should be doing is creating devices that do one thing and do it really well, but mm -hmm. interact with other devices. Sure. So I pull up that book, you know, like in the future, ultimately, many, many years in the future, I pull a book off the shelf, whatever, right? And because I believe books will still be in the future. But I'm reading that and I'm highlighting. And what I'm highlighting somehow is being transferred to the device that I use as a notebook. Sure. So that when I go there, I have all my highlights available to me. I don't need to go in and download the app and then send this to that one and then send uh, this exactly. one. To, 
you know, it's just <laughs> I highlight it and it happens. All this stuff, when, when the magic really happens, when they get all this stuff down, including um, these personal assistants, all of this stuff is going to be in the background. All of the, all of the mechanics, you know, like uh, the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. All we're going to see is the big head. And that's yeah. cool. Well, I mean, it, it's, it, I guess the, 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 the analogy is like, you know, you, when you're driving a car, you don't necessarily think about, you know, pistons moving or combustion happening or fuel being injected to certain parts. It, you don't worry about lubrication for the, the parts themselves. You don't worry about spark plugs firing. You don't have to do all of that manually. And right now, I think part of my frustration with the technology world is I still have to do everything manually. And as much as some of the stuff's been automated, it, it's, it's only automated after I've done it once or twice or 20 times. You know what I mean? And I think because of that, the, especially with, with my phone, I find, I find myself using my phone less and less, um, unless I can get away with using it without having to touch five different apps to do something. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, even in the world of, of, of photo and video editing, I just, it's still an, it's still a pretty archaic way of doing things. You know what I mean? Like the, the interfaces have changed. The tools have been slightly modified and evolved a little bit, but overall the, 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 the mentality or, or, or the methodology by which those things are done still hasn't really changed all that much, you know? And I think that, um, like one of the things that I'm very excited about, um, going forward with, with one note is, uh, a lot of people don't know this feature, but there's a find tags feature within there. And the find tags feature essentially um, tags with the way I don't want to go into this too deep, um, but tags essentially in OneNote are very different than everywhere else. Um, everywhere else, you know, you create your own tags. We all know what that means pretty much. You know, like this note is about uh, fishing. Okay, when I search for fishing later, this note and every other note that I've given that tag are going to come up. In OneNote, you're not tagging notes, you're not tagging notebooks, you're not tagging folders, you're tagging items. So I go, um, wash dishes. And I put that little square, that little to-do square next to it. And then in another note, I'm doing something else and I write, uh, or I type, uh, read Proust and the squid. And I put that little square next to it. Well, if I collect those through the next couple weeks, and then I go, okay, what is everything I need to do in my OneNote? I don't need to jump through all those, to all those notes and all those notebooks and remember all that. I go find tags. I hide everything except for the to-dos. And it just gives me a list of all of the to-dos that I have throughout my OneNote. Mm-hmm. And then I can say, boom, make a note of this. And now I have a list of it on a sheet. Now, that's great. But until the day that they do two things, um, it's not going to blow my mind that much. Mm-hmm. Until sure. number one, they bought Wonderlist. Until the day that I open Wonderlist and all of those to dos throughout my OneNote automatically show up in my Wonderlist, that's an amazing day. And yeah, and or organize themselves in such a way that you you don't have to fight your way through ten different sections of ten different lists. See, that's part of the problem with some of these list um, slash to do list things too. Is that they're buried in folders in folders and it's it's just nightmarish you know even with the tag system um with a lot like i tried to use that with evernote for example um and i still found it to be so cumbersome that it just became more trouble than it was worth to actually do you know what i mean yeah i get i think um there's a certain oppressiveness that we we take on to to do's i think that um i think that's why the OneNote thing is so appealing to me in the sense that 
I can have all of that stuff in my in my OneNote. Say, I mean, uh, say I don't want all. Of the, I have a hundred items. I don't want them all to be actionable mm-hmm. to this week or this month, even. You know, say some of those things are for the future. Instead of tagging those with with the to do, I tag it with, uh, you know, like the little, they have a little umbrella that says remember. Um, just tag that with the umbrella, right? And just put yeah. the to dos next to the things that I want to see. And then I all I need is a simple app that does one thing. I open it up and it shows me just those to dos. And when yeah. I get done with those, I can go back into OneNote and change all those umbrellas into do, into to dos when I need them to be to dos. Because you're right, the one problem with these to do apps is glut. We just fill it up to the point where even like Todoist, which is one of my favorites, um, I write for them. I think that they have a great interface. If you put too much stuff in there, it becomes a pain to work through, to um, pull things through. Because there's, I mean, there is no interface that can deal with that much information in a way that's not going to clog. That's why paper works. A a sheet Mm -hmm. of paper is only so long. So, you know, here's my 50 to-do items. Okay, that's all that's on this page. There's never going to be more than 50 items on that page. Mm-hmm. And I, I that's uh, I don't know. Did you ever use? Um, there's an app called Swipes. Did you ever use that one? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I vaguely remember it, um, but I remember it being pretty straightforward and pretty simple. But I haven't I haven't touched it in a while. What I really loved about that app, and I, I, I haven't checked in it on in a while, but I believe it still works this way. I know that they've been making forays into uh, integrations with Slack for business users, but the yeah. personal one I believe still works this way. Essentially, you have um, three tab sections. You know, you have left section, center section, the right section. You only see one section at a time. Um, the left section is things for the future. The yeah. middle section is today. The right section is done. And essentially, the way that that worked for me, I don't know if this is um, how everyone uses it, but I believe this is the way it was designed, is you're supposed to go through it, and everything is called swipes because everything is swipe-based. So you're supposed to go through that list on the left, right? And look through that big, long list of things, and you can tag things so you can narrow things down. And you just find the immediately important things, and you swipe them to the right. And that turns them green, and it puts them in that middle section. So that when you're working, all you see is that middle section. All you see is that active list. And there's something really powerful about that in the sense that, okay, here's my storage bank. Here's my to-do list. And then here's my archive. Mm. And... That's I think that's the way closest to how our brain works. Sure. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I I, I remember liking that app a whole lot when when I tried it originally. Um, and I was I think I was around for iteration two or iteration three where they had just introduced the features that you're talking about. Um, and I don't know why I stopped using it actually. Um, I think it's because at that point in my life I I was. I, I needed more of a tactile. I, I carried a notebook around like you for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I may end up going. Uh, back to trying out some of these like these these old apps um, like Swipe uh, because at least on some level um, I remember thinking that their interfaces their interfaces were pretty simple and pretty advanced. I've, what I've been really craving is just like something so basic and nobody makes it, but just something so basic to where all that confusion. Because I I, I I use Todoist to hold as my repository, but I don't work out of any Todo app. I can't. Sure. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's too hard to work out of an app. It's too distracting. So what I do every day, I have, this is my big article that I wrote for Todoist essentially, but 
what I do is I go in and I look at my tasks and I go, all right, what are my top three tasks today? And I write them on a post-it and I work off that post-it for the day. And if I finish those three, I'll dip back into the app and find something else. But it, I just, I mean, there's so, so many things that we're dealing with at all times that we have to find ways to hack our brains. How does our mm-hmm. brain work? And that's, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about this week. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, I, I mentioned briefly the idea of single use items, but what are your thoughts on multiple computers for multiple purposes? Um, I mean, single purposes, I'm sorry. I have, I have a few different responses for that. Like right now, as I sit here, um, you know, I'm working on my windows machine. Um, I have my iPad next to me for research. I have my MacBook next to me for, for taking notes. Um, there's a Mac mini somewhere in my room controlling my TV. Um, and I hate that. I absolutely hate it. I mean, at the end of when I'm shutting down for the day, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, there's, there's a certain part of me that likes it just because I know what machine to pick up for what, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I just, to be honest with you, I don't want to deal with any of it. Um, what part about it is the, what is, is the, I guess the word of the week for me is oppressive. So what part of it is oppressive? Um, not knowing what device to take with me to certain places. Um, like for example, if I'm, I'm going to, uh, need to edit photos, then I need to take my MacBook. You know what I mean? Um, if I'm, if I'm just doing writing or, or, or just basic web stuff, um, um, or programming stuff, then I bring my, my PC. You know what I mean? Um, and already between those two, I'm dealing with two different OSs with two entirely different UXs. You know what I mean? Um, and, 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 and UIs. So I think it's funny because I flip flop on this. Um, there was a period of time in my life where I was really frustrated at my MacBook trying to do everything and not doing anything well. You know what I mean? Um, but I think I grossly overcorrected for that by specializing my devices too much. Um, and now I, I'm, I'm kind of held hostage sometimes when I'm in a situation where I need a certain device and I don't have it with me. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's tough because I, I kind of go back and forth depending on how specific my needs are, um, for technology at any given time. After, after my incident yesterday with YouTube, which we'll go into afterwards, um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about <laughs> my device usage, um, has changed. Um, yeah. And right now, I'm really liking the idea of, like, for example, um, we're using my MacBook Air right now, or I'm using my MacBook Air right now to record this. And I like the fact that um, when I clean this up, because this was, I was using this for like 80% of things. I was doing my video editing on here. Um, I like the fact that when I get this desktop and everything cleaned up, there's not that much to clean up on here. But when I get it cleaned up, that when I open this computer, the only files that I'm going to find sitting on that desktop are going to be files related to this podcast. Interesting. And um, it, it's maybe it's it's um maybe it's different for me because um I'm dealing with so with a mass of so many files every day. Um, sure. Just to keep this brief as possible to explain what an average day of files on my computer is like. So if I'm using one computer for everything. Um, and it's a day that I'm editing the podcast. If we're lucky and we make it through this broadcast, broadcast, wow, great for me, um, <laughs> this recording without having to stop, I'll only have one file. But usually um, in the past, we've gone through three, four, one episode, we had like 12 files because the signal kept getting junky. And we had to stop and restart. Um, 
and those are sitting in a folder. But when I pull those out to work on them, I need to pull them to the desktop so I can see them. So cool. we'll say we get through this episode and I have three files um, like we did last week. Two files and then one in the middle where we were talking about um, where we left off. Sure. And I'll have three files sitting on my desktop. And then I don't edit the podcast the same day, you know, so they're going to sit there. And then I'm going to pull in my video. I need to do my video. Well, I need to pull that off of three different memory cards. So I'm pulling files off three different memory cards. Boom. Pull some off this one. Pull some off this one because I'm using different cameras. All of a sudden, I have 57 files on my desktop. And when I open Premiere, I need to import the files. I I need to pull a music file for the guitar riff that I've written for the day out of, of Dropbox. That's on the desktop. I need to pull in um, the templates for the titles that I use every day. And I need to pull in a screenshot of the day day before's vlog so that I can put that at the end. And I have all this stuff on the desktop. And when I go to import from Premiere, it's just going to pull up a window of everything on my desktop. And if I have all kinds of different files, including stuff for the podcast, I got to sit there and go, yes, this one. No, don't take that one. Yes, import this one. No, not that one. But knowing that when I go to edit video on the Surface later, the only files on that desktop are going to be for the uh, vlog, means I can just click everything and go import. And when I go on this one to edit the podcast, I can click everything on this desktop and just go right in to edit that. And that alone makes me so happy <laughs> well have you ever used have you ever used the multiple because i i used to have that that same issue as well um and i remember really really liking the the multiple desktops feature on my mac os uh device you know what i mean like when i was using my macbook for most of my stuff I and mean, carrying only one device around i had different desktops for different things um and each one of them held only files for that specific thing yeah the, I, windows has that as well it, it never seems to work for me the way that I want it to. Um, sure. I, I've, I, you're talking about, just to clarify for people listening, there's two different ways to define what you're saying, and I want to clarify which one you mean. And I believe you're talking about when you sign on, you sign on to a different account, so essentially. You're signing on as this user with this desktop, as opposed to... Uh, no, actually, uh, on the Mac OS, you can just literally switch between... You you can set up desktops individually. Yeah, um, yeah, but that that has all the same files on it. Every every uh, every uh, desktop has the same files for me at least, unless there's a setting I don't know of. Because I have you, two desktops as standard, and both files yeah. have the same files. You might you might be right. I might be crazy. Um, I would love if that worked because that's that's been my problem with it. I'm like, this would be great. Oh, doesn't do that. Sure. I mean, have you have you made an attempt to use your Windows machine that way? Because you know, of course, it allows for multiple logins. Actually, your Mac OS does too. But um, no. I mean, I I think that there's there's a there's there's got to be a way to pull that off uh, because the framework for it's there among the devices and OSs that we have. I think this goes back to your thing about um, being tired of those things. It's like I don't want to have to set that up. I don't sure. want to have to go through that work. <laughs> and, and, yeah. It's just easier for me to grab one machine and have that do that and grab another one because there's no setup there. Just, sure. As long as I don't put anything that doesn't belong on this computer, it's all good. I think what, what we're both talking about, um, you know, and something that's been kicking around in my own brain is just the, the tedium of technology. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's there's a very strong sense of just slow 
meticulous crappiness that comes along with having to to set up an app for the first time, even if it's an app that you know and love. Like, for example, um, I have Photoshop set up a very certain way on my Mac OS machine. And the thought of just redoing all of those, finding my new extensions, you know, getting all of my brushes and fonts and stuff is just so, so painful of a, a thought that I, I that just 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 the need to do that would probably make me not want to use Photoshop for like a week just because I wouldn't want to do all that again. You know what I mean? And we're techie people. Imagine how the average person feels. Oh, I, I can't, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I almost feel, I almost feel like when you, when you download an app, it should ask you questions that define what kind of user you are. So sure. when you open it, it works, you know, like, Hey, I'm just a guy that's going to open this and I don't want to tweak anything. I want everything basic. Boom. Here you go. You know, average user setup. And, and I think that, that that wouldn't be a bad way to start with this problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that's why these personal assistants and all this stuff are rising to the top. Because, yes, it is way easier to be able to say Siri, Cortana, Alexa, whatever your name is this week, please open my email app and send Lamb an email mm-hmm. and have it work. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and even if it's a tactile version of that on my 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 computer, like for example, anytime uh um any of these uh email clients, for example, run updates, whether it's Outlook or or, or uh Thunderbird or whatever whatever app that you're using for or software software that you're using to achieve um that that level of control of your inbox, like there's there's always growing pains um, whenever you, you update an app. For example, with Thunderbird, I mean, Thunderbird's great and it's open source. So, I mean, that's kind of cool, I guess. But anytime I, I update it, I always have to worry about extensions that I've set up not working anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are times where like I'll wait for, for compatibility with certain extensions before I, I run an update just because I don't want half the stuff that I've set up to just break. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that's that's the problem of complexity. I think that's why some of those are the simplest apps, you know, like people complain, and I was one of them, complain about how basic the Reminders app in iOS is. Uh-huh. But the more you work and the more things you do and the more applications you work with, the mm-hmm. more appealing that simple little list starts yeah. looking <laughs> where you're totally like oh all i have to do is open this app and then just put it in there and leave cool and and i think that that's the appeal of their notes app too why they uh-huh. haven't made it more robust you know people say are talking all the time is that the evernote killer all these things no because it's two different users sure you have the the people who who need these and and don't i i have that split inside me and i think we all do there's part of me then wants to ditch one note too and just start using that simple one. But then mm-hmm. when I start thinking about finding things, I'm like, oh, that will never work. But yeah, or even, even the stuff that we needed to do this week with, you know, um, just dropping in the, the, the file for the podcast and then uh, integrating notes and links and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, there's a certain level of, 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 of control that OneNote gives you that you wouldn't be able to achieve with just the, the simple notes app. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, and it has one of the best uh, contradiction. Is that the right word? Um, where I make changes, you make changes, and they contradict each other. I don't know if it's called contradictions. It's conflict. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Because um, sure. it just made uh, like I went in the other. You and I were working. We should tell people we were working on uh, the show notes for last um, last week's episode, 
at the same time in the same note. And at a certain point, I don't know if our connection got slower or something, but I stopped seeing what you were doing. I think you stopped seeing what I was doing for a little bit. Yep. And all of a sudden I had three different notes, three different versions of the note. And I was like, oh God, this is going to be horrible because, you know, one's going to have some of this and one's going to have, no, I literally just looked at the three and then I went, oh cool, it's this one. And then got to delete the other two. It took me one minute. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. But that's one of the few cases where, where technology this week has not failed me. Uh, I remember having those problems in Evernote. Jeez, um, now that you say that. It was a headache. Remember, you know, I was I was working with Crystal and I was working with, with Matt and I was working with a bunch of people. We all had Evernotes going at the same time, shared notebooks, um, you know, shared individual notes, shared files. And I mean, just the syncing problems alone um, and how it handled conflicts was so just uh, so, so aggravating. Um, and I'm sure it got progressively better as they started to figure that out more and more. Um, but man, like it was, it was so bad for a while that it actually turned me off to using Evernote for a couple of months. Um, just, it was the only app at its time, at the time that allowed me that level of real time, um, Collaboration. access, you know, like, I mean, it was great in, in what it did, but man, when there were problems, they were just monumentally annoying, you know? <laughs> and I think ultimately, like to me, I'm like, I'm kind of whatever about live collaboration. Like, yeah. if I really, if I need to wait 15 minutes for you to type what you're typing and then look, that might be better. You know, I don't know that, like, it, it was hard for us when we, we were doing that. And I had to tell you, you know, like, skip to the middle and start from there. And then if I'm sure. going faster than you, then I catch up. And then, you know, it becomes confusing. Um, sure. And then it's like, am I making you do something that I could have just done all by myself? And then have we really, did we just use both of our time when only one of us should have been doing it? It's it's hard to tell because none of that stuff works like being in the same room. Yeah, well, I mean, if if our tools were more flawless, I guess, then then we'd have a better sense of of how efficient we were. And I think that's what it comes down to for you and I, you know, is that we we're both we both have a lot of random stuff to do. Um, and so because of that, like the the more efficient we are, the better off we are because then we can use that 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 time that we have together to build instead of maintain. And I think for, for the, for you and I, I think that's, that's the key, the key, the key question. I think for, for a lot of users of these programs, um, whether it's, you know, personally or professionally is how much more efficient does this make you and how much more useful is the collaboration than not having the collaboration, you know? Right. Because I mean, ultimately we want these things, um, to become invisible, you know, like they say the best directors and the best writers are the ones that you don't think about what they're doing um, mm-hmm. because they've just woven something that um, is seamless. And yeah. I, and and that's what we need. And uh, we're reaching an hour right now. So I want, I want to make sure that we talk about books and stuff, but before, <laughs> before we leave technology, I do want to do a short little rant about my YouTube episode yesterday. Yes. Get it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for this one for <laughs> two days, dude. So on top of the podcast, I had a problem with that. It wasn't YouTube. I shouldn't say my YouTube problem. Uh, YouTube is still fantastic. Um, I've been using, as I mentioned earlier, this older MacBook Air. and four gigabytes of RAM on it. And I've been running Premiere on it, editing my daily vlog on this thing, um, including doing uh, creative, uh, creative looks, which is essentially um, color and contrast grading. Um, doing time lapses, uh, all kinds of very taxing, taxing things. And 
the minimum you're supposed to have for this program is what I have four. Eight is recommended. So <laughs> I've been pushing okay. it for very long, right? And it was to the point when I would put, um, so essentially the, I don't want to get too technical, but essentially when you bring in, say you bring in five clips, right? And you know, obviously you're going to cut those clips. You're going to cut them into smaller chunks. You're going to cut out little things. Um, so maybe you're going to end up with 15, 15 separate cut up pieces. Um, so essentially when you're working on a fast computer, what you're supposed to do is go in and color grade those when there's only five of them. Because then you can see what they look like, and then you don't have to do it separately. Um, I couldn't. I could not do that because once I would color grade them, I couldn't watch the footage mm -hmm. because the computer was too slow, so it would skip. So I'd have to do my color grading last. So I would take in like like I said, you know, twenty to forty clips, and then cut them up and make my whole sequence for the day, which sometimes ends up being like one hundred short little clips, and then have to go in and color grade those individually before exporting because my yeah. computer was so slow but i found my workaround this is why it would take a while well everything was going peaches yesterday peaches just like every other day and then i go to export when i go to export like i said the computer is slow so a five minute video takes uh, roughly an hour to encode and so i start the encoding like i normally do and i'm doing something in another window all of a sudden about 45 minutes into the encoding, I get a pop-up. It's closed. Uh-oh. What? It failed. Whoa, what happened there? Okay, it's just a hiccup. Sucks. I lost 45 minutes. Um, and luckily, I started at noon, and I usually post these at 3 is what I'm thinking, right? So I tried again. 45 minutes go by, approximately. I'm not paying attention to the exact time. Boom, fails again. Oh, man. Okay, so at this point, I'm going... All right, it's, it's just, you know, do the, do the trick that everybody taught us to do, restart the computer. So I restart the computer, try it again. 45 minutes go by. Now I'm, now I'm approaching the time that I normally post this. Fails again. So obviously I'm not going to make it on time. So now I'm on the phone with Adobe. I get on the phone with Adobe. I'm on the phone with the guy for three hours. In those three hours, Whoa. he does essentially what I've just done because he needs to watch it and see where it fails. He watches it, he sees where it fails, whatever, right? We still can't figure it out. Still can't figure it out. Going through all these things. Finally, I'm, I'm starting to lose, like, lose my mind. Like, literally starting to lose my mind. And I tell this guy, I'm like, is there a way? Because what you guys might not understand is, so you have a project file for a video. But then you have all these associated videos. Well, you can't just take that project file and go to another computer like you can with a Word document. Because when you get over there, it's going to have all the arrows but the arrows are going to be pointing to nothing because you don't have all the associated files. So now you have a sequence of nothing. So you need a way to take the program file, all the associated file and all the associations. So he goes, okay, there's a way to do that. So he shows me how to do that. I put it on the Seagate external drive. I have, I go over, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try this on the surface. Every other time I've tried to use premiere on the surface, it has crashed in the three hours that this guy is on the phone with me. I read a forum and they say it crashes on the surface because the standard mode for editing uses the graphics processor. Well, the graphics processor is integrated within the surface, so and it, it's not compatible. So that's what crashes. You need to go into software-only mode. I'm going, oh, my God, I've been looking for this answer forever because this surface has 8 gigs of RAM. 
it's double this guy. So I take the file over there and I'm so excited that I'm going to get this to work. Right. And <laughs> it doesn't recognize the external drive. Oh no. <laughs> so I unplug it. I plug it in again. Unplug it. Plug it in again. Okay. Now I, I take it back to the other computer. I plug it in. Now I'm transferring the, from that external drive to another external drive. Now I plug it in. Fine. I've got the stuff. I get it on the computer. Crashes. I get Jeez. on this computer, crashes. I get on the computer, computer, it crashes. Finally, after like four attempts, I go, okay, I'm not going to change the render mode. I am just going to try to encode this. There's four seconds usually before it crashes. I hit the hotkey. I get that app to open, and it starts encoding. And now you know, it's like <laughs> like, the, like sunlight coming down from the heavens, and I'm dancing around my room, you know, like <laughs> praising the rain gods. And then all of a sudden, it fails, just like it did on the other computer. Ugh. And it fails again, twice. Now I am eight hours into this, literally eight hours to get this video that I've already edited onto YouTube. And so I go in and I'm looking, and there's color bars that will show you how hard the, the processor is working on certain parts of the video. And I see mm -hmm. these three tiny slivers, milli literally millisecond slivers in between clips that are bright red. And I go, there's the problem. That's about the time. And I look and it. Remember the morph cut we had talked about last week where I disappeared and reappeared? Yeah. I had used morph cuts on two effects and I don't know if I had too many other effects running. The morph cuts were causing it to crash. The moment I deleted those, boom, it was up. I had it on YouTube at like nine o'clock at night. Jeez. And I think I have four hairs left on my head. Yeah, that sounds terrible. So uh, that's my story, and uh, it sucked. <laughs> but I was dedicated to get that video out. I made a promise to myself I was never going to miss a day. And mm -hmm. if I had to be up till 4 in the morning, I was going to do that. Um, so let's, let's move into Lamb Zone. Lamb, tell me, tell me something about your week. Tell me uh, what are you reading, what are you watching, what are you listening to, what do you want to tell me? Well, I had already mentioned the, the viral video manifesto, um, which um, one of the things in here, I remember reading a passage on it, is don't let your technology get in the way, um, <laughs> which I think is oddly appropriate for the the dragon you basically had to slay to, to get that stupid video up. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 a great read for anyone who's looking to do, um, you know, but, but obviously anything about viral video or, or social marketing in the modern technology world is pretty much obsolete the moment it's written. Um, so go into it with a grain of salt. Um, plenty of the stuff is really, really useful, but some of it's also pretty outdated. Um, so, um, you know, take a look. Um, it's a pretty good read all the way through, and it's a really fast read. Um, it's definitely something I'm going to lend you the next time I see you, so that's another book on the list. Um, another book that I'm reading, which I'm obsessed with, um, for anyone who's listened to any of the previous podcasts, I'm, I'm into infographics and design and typography and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm reading a book at current called Infographica, um, and reading is a very loosely used term there. Um, it's by Martin and Simon Tolsland, um, and they it's basically information on the world in the form of infographics, and it's really, really cool. Um, so that's one that I, I definitely... I definitely, I definitely would recommend. Um, and the last and, and, and but not least is just because I've been so morbidly curious about it, I finally picked up um, um, Star Wars um, as written by Shakespeare. 
<laughs> I haven't cracked it open yet. I have not, but I hear it's amazing, and I hear that they stick to ambic, iambic pentameter um, pretty strongly, which, you know, I for, for, for most of you, I'm, obviously no one knows this, but I'm a kind of a big Shakespeare guy, so I'm very curious as to how they pull that off with the Star Wars script as their template for the story. It's really interesting. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, what about you, man? What are you reading? I haven't been reading much, in all honesty. I still haven't finished David Carr. I've just been slammed with so much stuff that I, I don't think I've literally picked up a book in the, in the last week. It's yeah, surprising no. for me. Have you gone any further in uh, Night of the Gun? No. Like, literally, I, haven't, uh, I don't think I've listened to it or any, read any. I read a magazine yesterday. That's the extent of my reading this week. Shocking. Uh, what about music? What are you listening to? Uh, nothing there either. <laughs> so I'll this t- section of the podcast is going to be really brief. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about television because I I have found a little bit of time for television. Um, I've been watching the Monsters. What? I love the Monsters, man. I really do. It's it's such a. There's something amazing about that show because it's very much a fifties, you know, like family values type show, but at uh-huh. the same time, it's all of that turned on its head. Like, they are a very wholesome family, but at the same time, they are not. It's like yeah. the Adams Family is a similar similar situation. And, it, and that Munsters theme is probably the best theme song of all time. Yeah. Huh. Wow. And, I haven't even, I haven't thought of that show in, uh, God, probably 15, 20 years by now. It's so, I mean, it's not, it's not like you watch it and you're like, wow, it's, it's cracking me up. It's just, I don't know. There's there's an innate coolness to it. Yeah. That is, you know, you just watch it and you're like, I dig it. You know, it's it's like people who love the Brady Bunch. It's not that the Brady Bunch is good. It's just mm-hmm. you have a place for it. Um, and not in the way that we had talked about with Fuller House and Full House. You know, it's it's not that um, nostalgia for the for a part of yourself from when you were younger. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's just. It's one of those shows, you know, it's like Scooby-Doo, where you're like, the scripting on this is awful. It's the same thing over and over again, but I like it. And there's mm-hmm. no excuse for why you like it. You just do. Yeah. Uh, and and con- in contrast, I've also been watching Saved by the Bell. Wow. what I'm do really highbrow some- this week, huh? Yeah, do you have some weird nostalgia thing that I'm not, I'm, I don't know about? What? <laughs> no, you know what I think it is, is I'm just... I'm using so much of my brain energy uh-huh. that um, I'm not, I don't have the willpower right now to invest in something deeper. Um, uh. You know, like I can't, I've, I've been avoiding watching um, the second season of Daredevil just because yeah. I'm not ready to invest in it. Sure. I don't, I don't have the emotional and the mental capacity right now to do it. Um, I, I'm living on a very tight rope. And, uh, I, I, I don't have room for those things right now. I'm, I'm busy creating. I don't have time to ingest, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat too. Um, with the exception of, of certain things like, uh, I am, I, 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 there's a part of me that just really, really loves watching people who are amazing what they do, do what they do best. Um, and you know, as of the last couple of weeks, I've been diving into pop music a little bit more and, uh, um, if anyone, if, if you haven't done so, um, and we're definitely putting this in the show notes, please, please, please go look at Lady Gaga's performance of I Wish during the 
Stevie Wonder tribute uh, concert. It is one of the most riveting performances I've ever seen of any live song ever done. Um, wow. And Lady Gaga, I, I mean, I, you know, I knew a lot about her background. So, I mean, it, it doesn't really surprise me that much. Like, you know, for as much as she is huge in the, the, the pop world, like she is definitely a, a virtuoso musician. You know, she went to art school and wrote, you know, um, analytical papers on, you know, religion and social issues and politics and everything. I mean, she's, she's a smart girl. Um, but beyond that, she's also a virtuoso musician and a heck of a piano player. And very, very few people realize that because the, the only thing we really know of her is, you know, what she looks like in the spotlight, wearing like neat dresses and all these crazy outfits and the, the pop music that she does. But we don't realize that um, she is like Sia to me in the sense that she's a musician's musician. Um, and if you if you have a chance, please immediately search for um, that performance, as well as her Julie Andrews tribute um, on The Sound of Music for the, 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 the Oscars. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Um, and for for all intents and purposes, it's it's it, it changes what you think of Lady Gaga if you haven't seen any of that kind of stuff from her in the past. Um, kind of a quick side note on that, too. She ended up doing um, all of the original songs from The Sound of Music in the original keys that um, Julie Andrews sang them in, which is way higher than her range. And she had to train for months in order to be able to do that. But she wanted to stay true to the originals as well as to give tribute to or um, pay tribute to, to Julie Andrews and her, her amazing performances in that, that movie. So I had respect for Lady Gaga before, but watching the Stevie Wonder performance alone was enough to add at least two or three notches to the level of respect I have for that, for that woman. It's amazing. And she's a great um, wraparound back to stickiness. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you mentioned, the, the meat dresses and all the, uh, the strange things that she would wear and all those, that's stickiness. Mm-hmm. she had the talent she had all those things and she had worked for years and got nowhere but yep. the moment she started doing those um shocking um wardrobe uh all of a sudden she started hitting and it wasn't that it's not like she wrote music any differently she still was always talented um yep. but it was that that made her sticky people remembered her. oh that's that's the girl with the meat dress how can you forget you know something what, like that that's sticky you know what's even funnier about that is i think now because she has because weird is is her her calling card i think she is one of the smartest pivoters in all of of all of pop culture in the sense that because people started to see her as the weird chick she did a full 180 and did a julie andrews tribute of all things well didn't you she know? do a whole bunch of stuff with tony bennett for a while too yeah she did a bunch of stuff with tony bennett that was really really good um she has um, one particular performance that I remember off the top of my head um, for that song Bang Bang, which Nancy Sinatra made really um, the, the song that it was. But I mean, we forget that she's a classically trained operatic slash musical theater singer and she has some lungs on her. I'm, I mean, if you listen to her Julie Andrews tribute, for example, she is she is sounding nothing like Lady Gaga as we know her. You know what I mean? And it's astounding to see that. I've always, uh, I've always been impressed. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, um, you know, the thing with Picasso, right? Um, people gave Picasso, oh, yeah. they gave him, they gave him, um, a hard time because he drew strange things and, you know, cubism, all that. And people said he had no talent. He was classically trained. He could do all the other stuff. He mm-hmm. just didn't. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and if you go back and you look at older Picasso sketches, like, um, I think there's like a, it's like a pencil sketch of a minotaur or like a charcoal sketch of a minotaur 
and it looks exactly like what a minotaur would look like. Like sure. it, it, it's complete realism almost. And I mean, he had the chops and it, it, it goes to show that, um, skill is not as immediately apparent as we sure. think. Sure. And it's not, yeah, as, and I mean, especially from perspective too, like, I mean, if you're looking at Picasso, um, you know, he, he, he falls into one of the very important categories. And we were talking about, about true artists last week, you know, big A's versus little A's and all the rest of that. And I mean, some of that's useful, some of it's not. But I think some of the, one of the most important things we took away from that is that, you know, there's a certain level of, of, at least for me, um, working with, you know, um, plenty of different types of artists throughout my, my various tenures in the art world, um, that they're, you know, working with someone who, understands the tools so well that they no longer have to think about the tools um makes them allows them the 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 freedom to be completely creative without any hindrance um you know and and i think that that what you're describing with picasso or what i'm describing with lady gaga is a pretty you know so basically uh picasso and lady gaga fall under the same umbrella for for us but i think that 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 stark understanding of the tools um allows you a level of freedom creativity creatively that you wouldn't have if you didn't put the work in you know what i mean exactly it's a weird dichotomy too because there's also the there's the other end of the spectrum that's also true i don't you know like there's no one true way maybe to narrow this down there's just many different kinds of artists but the other side of the spectrum is the, the person who makes brilliant things because they're horribly limited yeah that's true you know, like Kurt Cobain was not a classically trained musician. He was not um, any of those, you know, like he couldn't tell you what counterpoint was probably, you know, like that's not his training. His training was in like indie and punk rock, like true indie before like it became trendy, just listening to the records and loving those things. Yeah. And, and that limitation of what he was able to play, he just worked the best at. Yeah, and uh, you could say the same thing about um, about Tom Waits. You know, uh-huh. Tom, Tom Waits has um, he's a virtuoso in the sense it seems like he can do everything, but a, his voice is is very limited. Mm-hmm. But he's taken that limitation of his voice and made it something unique and something that's purely him. And back to your end, uh, the other end that you were mentioning is Bowie. Bowie could do anything. Yeah, I mean, he he had complete control, and because of that, he ju- he was forced to jump all over the place. Sure, he had to do everything because he he couldn't live with those limitations. So it's an inter- it's an interesting dichotomy. Which would you uh-huh. say that you are? Um, I would say I'm a tireless tinkerer. Um, it, it, it's funny because it depends on the medium. Um. Like with photography, for example, I got really, really technical, um, and I, I wanted to understand the science of it. Um, so I delved so far into the technical aspects that I actually think I hurt myself creatively at some point. Um, as opposed to with music, because I feel like I had a more natural sense of it. I was a really lazy uh, craftsman when it came to music, so I went more with ear and feeling, and I think that because of that, I was much more open creative, creatively, but I was also more limited technically in what I could achieve. Um, so I, I think it depends on the medium. Like with, with writing, too, for example, 
I'm a, I used to be at least, um, when I felt like I had more time, um, I was a tireless reader. Um, and I read so many different styles and so many different authors that I think, um, I felt, and I still feel that in order to become a well-rounded writer that can produce, um, um, a, a clean or, or creative narrative that you need to read a lot and you need to understand the craft of writing. But, you know, it, it, I guess it kind of depends on what your natural propensities are. And because I feel like I had a natural affinity to music, I didn't work as hard. Um, so yeah, it kind of depends. What about you? Yeah, no, you know, I feel like, um, I'm definitely, uh, I, I aspire at times to be technical. I aspire to learn all of these things, but when it comes down to actual practice, it, it ends up being more gut and limitations for me. Um, and, and some of them I think are self-imposed. Like I will learn the way something works, but only like 20% of it and go, that's good enough. And, yeah. and I think it, uh, I think that, um, the thing that my, my biggest limitation in some ways, which is good for me and some bad is I'm horribly impatient mm. and, uh, I don't want to wait five years to master premiere before I start making videos. Sure. I want to take a 10 minute tutorial and learn it by screwing up every day by going through eight hours of hell yesterday. I might, I might complain a little bit, but like you said, when we were talking about it, I learned a lot yesterday. Yeah. Um, and I, and I learned that I can use my twice as fast computer to do video editing now. So there's, there's gives and takes. I, I, I think that the word that you said that I want to grab onto the most is, open mm -hmm. and i think the moment maybe we start defining ourselves as i am this i am that we put limitations on ourselves that are not beneficial sure and we start to um close ourselves off from possibility it's possible that i can be very technical at one thing and horribly emotional and um shoot from the hip on another thing and that's okay sure sure and I feel like there's a certain natural, like, if you allow yourself to, to intuit which is which, I think you, you come to it in a much less contrived way. Um, like for me, for example, I thought for a while that I wanted to identify myself as a writer, but I'm really, I'm really not. Um, you know, I write, but I think ultimately, um, I think my, 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 the through line for who I am as a person creatively is I just really like to create narratives. Um, so regardless of the medium, I think for me, it's about storytelling, you know, and I think anyone who's, who's met me or know, or, or knows me knows that I'm a very social person and I like to tell stories. So, you know, regardless of the medium, whether it's photography or music or, or, or writing, uh, or even, you know, in my everyday life, I feel like my first and foremost thing is that I'm a storyteller and how I tell that story is, is, you know, the medium is irrelevant, you know? I agree. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I, I was listening and I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, I'm puzzling in my head. Am I a storyteller? Am I a storyteller? And I, I don't think that I am. I think that I want to be. Yeah. But I, I think that uh, more than anything, I am, and I don't have a better word for this, an educator. Mm. Um, in the sense that um, I'm a disseminator of knowledge. When I learn something, what I want to do more is most than uh, more than anything. Well, screwed up both of those together. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do more than anything is to tell other people about it, to sure. spread it. So, sure. um, so storytelling is a method, but I don't think for me that that um, that's truly what I am. And 
I'm coming to this realization literally as we're talking about this. <laughs> and uh, so this is this is your Gorbachev father ice cream cone moment. <laughs> yes, and hence I will no longer ever write again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean it's just it's all about learning for me, learning and and figuring things out and like a big theme in my vlog at, at least for the last week, but I think it runs throughout all of them in some way, shape or form is trying to motivate other motivate motivate other people to create. Um, and I find that the way that I do that is by sharing the ways that I've failed at doing it for so many years. And it's just, it's important to me to teach something. Sure. And, and it, I feel any, any real conversation I have with you, you're the most excited when you can tell me about something new. Yes. It's, it's a strange thing. And uh, you had talked about the tipping point and I was rereading my notes um, before this. And that's one of the three people that you need, right? Um, yeah. There's the salesman who's um, you need because they're persuasive. The salesman is the one that gets you over the chasm. The chasm, for those that don't know what the diffusion of innovation is, it's like a curve. Um, essentially, you uh, when you... It, when you're trying to get the masses to adopt something, there's four phases. And the first phase of people that will come into it are the innovators. And, yep. the, and these are a very, very small percentage, as you can imagine. These are the people who are on beta programs of apps. And uh, they're always trying something new. You know, like even if, even if it works horribly, they're down to try it out because they just want to play with it. They just want to know. And that percentage is 2.5% uh, yep. of the population. Then you have the early adopters. These are the people who are not as risky as the other guys. They might not have the beta version of the iOS on their iPhone, but they are the first person in line to buy the new iPhone. They're the first ones to give it a shot when it hits the market. And those guys are 13.5% of the population. And after that is where you have the chasm. And the chasm is where most things fail. And the reason that they fail there, the reason that things don't become popular there, is because the next group is 34%. It's a huge group, which is the early majority. And the reason that there's a chasm between the early adopters and the early majority is the desires of the early adopters and the desires of the early majority are conflictory. They want different things. Contradictory. I got you. Yes. And, <laughs> well, they, I mean, they conflict as well. Um, yeah. they, they're, they want completely different things. And because of that, they're unable to communicate to each other. Um, mm -hmm. So the early adopters are not able to sell to the early majority, which is why you need these salespeople, because the salespeople are the bridge of that gap. The salespeople are the ones who get what the earlier adopters are talking about and can translate it into language that the majority understands. Yeah. And once you get through part of that hump of the early majority, that's when all of a sudden you start hitting the tipping point. The tipping point is right at the end of the early majority when you hit the late majority. These are people who, you know, maybe after three years jumped on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that's another 34% of the population. And the last 16% is the laggards. Those are the people that probably are still not on Instagram. 
and and we'll probably not get on it until everybody else has jumped off of it because yeah. they don't see a need to change anything. And yeah. uh, the other two, that was kind of a tangent, but I did want to talk about those, so it's not unrelated. Um, the other two groups is you have the mavens, which is what I am. These are the people who love learning things and telling other people about things, and that's you need those people because they sell your product. Um, they convince people why your product is important or your your art or whatever it is that is um, your social idea, your social movement, any of those things. And I can't remember what the third one is right now. It is, oh, connectors. Mm-hmm. Connectors are the people that know everybody. You know, like the guy who has like 700 um, email, 700 phone numbers in his phone and he can remember everybody's name and what their wife's name is, you know, like these people, people. Mm-hmm. So what, the reason I wanted to get in all that though is I want to ask you, if I'm a maven, what do you think you are? It's funny because I feel like I've been, I've been different people or different, I think, what do you call those archetypes? Uh, what do you, what kind of, what did he call them? What was the, what was the name for the concept? Critical people in social epidemics. Yeah, I, I I I feel like I've been a different a different one in each in each phase of my life, and I think right now I'm probably closest to a maven. But it it I I think predominantly I'm 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 a sales guy, um, just because I, I I spent most of my life persuading people to 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 do certain things or care about certain things, and I'm really good, I guess, at exciting people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point in my life, especially in business, um, you know, I, I was a connector. Um, I definitely, I definitely built networks with and for people. Um, but I think right now, I, I, I think right now, especially with what we're doing with the podcast and stuff like that, I think I would most identify with being a, with with a maven. You know what I mean? So I think we're both mavens in our own ways. Um, that means we need a salesperson and a connector for this podcast. Well, that's, that's pretty <laughs> obvious. I mean, if you if you look at at, at, at what we're we're not doing. As well as we want to, at them, those those are definitely the two people we need. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, actually, hey, listeners, if you guys have any ideas of how to promote a podcast, we would love to hear them because we are open. Um, we just yeah. want we want more ears on this show. And I've said before um, in the last episode, I'm going to mention this in every episode. For those who don't know, you can subscribe. Once again, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all over the place. If you have any problems, contact us. If you have questions you want us to talk about, we're going to do those on Anchor, um, but we will take questions in any format that we receive them. And I, I think, I think you know, it's funny that that tipping point finally came up for us because I think so many of the things that we talk about, you know, whether it's the the technology stuff or the art stuff or the the the, the personal assistant stuff, I mean, it all comes down to context. You know what I mean? And I think. You know, for both you and I, like one of the one of the things that that's in the tipping point is the power of context and how how topical something can be um, and how how timely it can be in in identifying either a truth or a conflict within a person's life. And I think, you know, for us, I think with you and I, with what we've gone through uh, in our lives and where we are now as people, um, I think it's one of the first times in our lives where we can put ego aside and talk about our conflicts or, or problems in a very real way. Um, and I think for the first time, I think my, my, my ego has caught up with my context in a weird kind of way. Um, and I think because of that, like I have, I have, I'm finally 
more honest about where I am and what that actually means for what my life is going to look like. And I know that um, that sounds strange, but I think the last couple of years of my life has been about breaking down that ego and 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 allowing myself to to dream daily versus dream long term. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, you know, I wake up every day now with with things that I want to achieve in that day, and you know, sure, I have long term goals and things I want to learn too as well. But I'm not afraid to change them anymore. I'm not I'm not afraid to to take the dreams that I've had as these long standing, lofty, strange goals and redefine them on an, a daily or even an hourly basis. I just I don't use them to define me anymore, and so my dreams don't validate me. I, I spend my days now validating the new dreams that I have. You know. And that's the hard thing about dreams, isn't it? Is we, we fear them um, because there's a responsibility to them once you accept them. Sure. Once you accept that you have a dream, then you're either achieving it or you're failing it. Yeah. And and that's a that's a hard. It's, it sounds like so simple, but it's that's that's the hump. Where it's like as long as I'm not thinking about you know it's like oh that's there and I'm not dealing with it I'm leaving that dream in limbo. I'm neither succeeding or failing. It's like what I talked about with writing before. You know, until you get those ideas out of your head and you put them on paper, they're fluid and they're not really, they don't exist. And a lot of people have problems getting to that stage of writing, actually writing something, because they're afraid of seeing what it actually will be, because it may not live up to what we imagine it being. And huh. I, I think that that's... Uh, to a huge degree, um, a lot of what I was talking about in my vlog yesterday that took me forever to get up, um, it's that's why it's so important to me to do something daily. Like you said, you know, we're working at it daily. Daily is the word. Yeah. Because when you're not doing it daily, everything else slides in. Life, sure. excuses, everything. And that's why it was so important for me to get that video up. And that's why, even though it, we may have lost some listeners in the section where I was ranting about um, Premiere, <laughs> why it was important for me to share that. Because I wanted people to understand the momentous obstacle. Not because I want them to think I'm great, but because I want them to understand the dedication that I have to that. Because that's the dedication that I bring to this show and everything else in my life. And that's the dedication that I think it's not because I'm wonderful. It's because of years of being undedicated and being completely lazy as far as a creator that I'm so driven to do these things. And that drive is in all of us. It's not a special, um, it's not a special trait in certain people. We all have that. We just have to tap into it. And the easiest way to do that is to do something daily. That's why people who are healthy exercise every day. And I think in, 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 in no uncertain terms, um, what it comes down to is just having the will to dream. You know what I mean? Um, you know, from the way you describe it, you know, and I know I've fallen into this at points in my life too. When I don't live up to a certain dream, like, you know, I, I thought I'd be doing something by 25 or 30 or whatever it might be. Um, there's a certain sense of, of, of disappointment that, that, that follows that thought or that follows the, the, the passing of that milestone without ach that achievement. And I think only, only very recently have I finally gotten to the point where I've, I've understood that it's, it's about having the will to dream and then having to act on that will, you know, like for example, um, you know, there are things now where I, I, 
I, I, I definitely on, on in my daily life, if I can do it now, I'm going to do it now. You know what I mean? Um, and even if there are things that might make more sense to do in the moment, if I'm thinking of it, I'm going to do it purely because I want to build that habit in me. You know what I mean? Like if I'm thinking it, I need to do it. And, and, and that's as practical as it is creative to me. And I feel like in my creative life, if, if, if I don't do it now, I'm just never going to do it. You know? I think that's the importance of having, um, models, you know, idols, um, because in some way it's, it's become, um, bastardized within popular culture. The idea of having a celebrity originally came from the idea that these were, um, they used to call them idols, you know, movie idols, music idols, baseball idols that this is, it's become just, you know, like, Oh, these people are popular, but essentially the idea, um, of having an idol, it goes back to the idea of having a saint, or in in Hindu they call it the Bodhisattva. Um, it, what it is is these are people by which you you use as a measuring stick to measure your own life, and it's not to make you feel less; it's to motivate you. You're supposed to look and go, "This person is human." That's why all the saints and all the Bodhisattvas were human; they weren't uh, divine. Um, they were humans because you're supposed to be able to look at them um, and go, this person is also a human and they achieved that. Therefore I am capable of that as well. And, and that's, that's why it's important. You know, we, like we have our guys that we always talk about. We haven't said Radiohead yet. So let me just throw Radiohead in <laughs> Radiohead, David Bowie, Tom Waits. These are, these are, um, these are about You know, these are for me. And I think for you too, these are people that I look at and I go, they did it. Um, when it comes to video um, and blogging, and blogging, it's Casey Neistat. I look at that guy and I go, he did it. And I go back and I watch his stuff from where he started. I go, he and he didn't start that different from where I am right now. His his yeah. skill wasn't that great. Um, and and that that's what the importance of those is because that's that's what gets us over those humps. We're not supposed to use um, people we look up to as. Um, we're not supposed to live vicariously through them. They're supposed sure. to motivate us to act. Sure. And that's 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 what the uh, what in the tipping point they call the call to action. Yeah. Um, it's necessary. Or going back to the other thing we said, jab jab, right hook. 